Season 14, episode 43. Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon with you. It's Monday, the 18th of September, uh, and it follows in the feed our 150th story time, which we recorded to something of a live studio audience on Zoom on Friday, Jeff, which was a, a lovely thing to do. We've got a lot to get through today, as always. Good morning, and rather good evening to you in Melbourne. It is an evening in Melbourne. It's the end of fake spring in Melbourne. We just had um, a few gorgeous days and we're now descending back into freezingness as tends to be the way before it will suddenly be 35 for a week, maybe in October and then <laughs> go back to being winter again. And then maybe we'll have another bite at spring in November. That's all happening. There's a lot going on. Uh, there, it's, it's football finals yep. here. Um, it's, it's, and it was Ron Barassi week. It was a, a farewell yeah. to a legend. If you listen to this show and get confused about the fact that we talk about the Australian rules football. Sometimes we try to keep it uh, as as circ- um, circumspect, circumscribed as we can. But w- one of the greatest ever to do it uh, left us and, and left our company. So it's it's worth demarcating that. Given that we often use the phrase of the Barassi line to to indicate the the Australian rules versus rugby league sort of crossover geographically in Australia. Yeah, this comes up a lot on Storytime, where our UK audience are interested in where the football codes uh, dominate in Australia. And, and in 1978, there was a line drawn in an academic paper. It was a, it was a speech, actually, and uh, yeah, related to Ron Barassi. But yeah, it was a lovely thing, reading all of the obituaries. Greg Baum wrote a beautiful piece in The Age on Sunday. The significance of someone who came into the game in the early 50s, but even before that, with his dad dying at Tobruk and growing up uh, in Norm Smith's house, at least for part of his childhood, going to Melbourne, Norm Smith being such a tough taskmaster, but then playing in five premierships by the time he was 25. How about the fact that he played, so his 10 premierships that he was in, that he was involved in, so 17 for 10 was always his signature. He, he would sign, you know, Ron Brassie, 31, very famous autograph, 17 mm-hmm. for 10, 17 grand finals, four 10 premierships. They all played out. Right. Um, some, some as coach, some as player. Yeah, but they all played out between, well, the first of that, that run is in 54, the losing grand final to Footscray. And the last of that run is, is 1978 when they lose the, North Melbourne lose the grand final to Hawthorne. But that's all crunched mm-hmm. into a 24 year period. You know, all of those grand finals, all of those premierships, the move to Carlton after the 64 grand final, which in that documentary, The 100 Years of Football, that was released in 1996, they go back and show newspaper clippings where it was called treasonous and he should hang for it and all this kind of thing, moving over from mm. Melbourne to Carlton, but being in charge of the grand final in 1970, the comeback from 44 points down, asking them to run and handball Teddy Hopkins' four goals through to 1975, leading North Melbourne to their first premiership after the 10-year rule comes in. The drawn grand final in 1977, the first game televised in colour live, or the first grand final, for it to be a draw, North throwing it away, winning the next week with Arnie Brightus kicking all those goals and mm. um, then going on to be a pioneer of football above the Barassi line as well. Like We interviewed Ron Joseph. That was the first interview we, we made for the greatest season that was and it was the app was called Get Barassi uh, and the way that he went to Barassi's pub, the Mountain View in, in Richmond there and, and one evening and, and sat down and said, Ron, we want you to come to Sydney. And they went and knocked on the door of uh, Ross Oakley at the time and said, I've got him. I've got Ron to come and do the job at 60 years of age. Uh, and he said himself that Sydney would one day be a hub of Australian rules football and uh, GWS uh, making the prelim mm. again this week is part of that story. The Galahs as well, Tony Wilson's documentary about Irish football and 
Barassi being a pioneer of taking Aussie Rules players to Ireland and in turn helping recruit Jimmy Steins to play at Melbourne. The very fact that Melbourne played Carlton in an all-time thrilling semi-final on Friday night, um, the night before he passed mm. away. So, yeah, there was a lot of Barassi love this week and I don't think there's ever been a bigger icon in Australian Rules football. I, I'd struggle to think of one other person who encapsulates the game and the progress of the game uh, over the last seven decades more than mm. R.D. Barassi. So, uh, Vale. The, an, an internationalist in in internal domestic terms, I suppose, being a significant figure at Melbourne, at Carlton, at North Melbourne and at Sydney, yeah, which yeah. used to be South Melbourne. I mean, there's, there's so right. much influence there. And as it happened, just by coincidence, I was down Ligon Street on Friday night just having a drink <laughs> at the Curtin Hotel and, and whatever it was and wandered up at around 11, well, just before 11 o'clock when they, they kicked that winning goal and suddenly there are, there are you know, people running out of shops screaming, Gone baggers, and then all, you know all of the the mob from the MCG, um, who the the, uh, the the real cheer squad came down Ligon Street with their drums and whatnot, and were were souping it up and making a big noise. So it, it was it was I don't know it was quite moving to see it organically happen, and and then you know obviously you get the news the next day that, that one of Carlton's champions has passed away. Yeah, the uh, the Carlton being successful in September is a vibe that I, I remember this now, like it's a familiar feeling from my childhood. Yeah. I, I've gotten right involved though. The last two Friday nights when I've gotten home from what I've been up to working on both of them on, on One Day Internationals, Carlton both weeks have put up tweets saying, send us your best reaction videos from the MCG when the final siren went. I'm just sitting there basically sobbing, <laughs> missing the MCG, missing home, uh, watching these Carlton supporters uh, enjoy the experience that I guess you and I I've been pretty lucky to have with with Hawthorne and Geelong over the years in September mm. at the G. So, yes, even though we are very much a cricket podcast, we're 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 broader than that when we need to be uh, as it relates to Melbourne sure. and, and the MCG, and certainly uh, the MCG in September. I'm old enough to still resent Carlton for cheating their way <laughs> to a premiership in '95. <laughs> Salary cap rorts, big Jack Elliott. Big Jack. All the, you know, it doesn't feel quite long enough ago for me to feel completely sympathetic towards mm. Carlton, but you know, it's hard not to get caught up in that a little bit, especially when you live in the area. But you you had a day out before <laughs> at the cricket, I understand. Oh, I've got to be careful how I talk about this. Uh, I, I posted about this the other day and some people got very angry. No, the I did. I played for the authors and had one of those days when it just works when batting up the list and fell 18 runs short of a ton. I'm sort of focusing more on that more than having uh, a good day to that point. I stupidly... Um, You've never made 100, right? Never made 100, no. I've made a mm. lot of scores between 50 and 100 but never gone on to reach three figures and that's mm. largely due to the fact that I wasn't like a good batsman when I played Saturday cricket. I'd bat down towards the end sure. and slog. But in this style of cricket, there is a there is definitely a road to a century there somewhere. And this was almost certainly it on a ground that was flat, September, you know, bowlers who, when they were missing their mark, I was able to you know, put away because the boundaries were short enough to, to clear the ropes pretty easily. But yeah, on, on 82, I picked out deep point. I don't know why I was trying to hit a six over deep point when I could have taken a one and kept a strike. And anyway, it doesn't matter. Not that I've been thinking about this at all. Um, but it was, yeah, then I had... Have a, you been dreaming about it? No, n- maybe not quite. I, we, we had to um, defend... I think I had four runs to play with, with two balls to go, bowling to their bloke who was on about 70-odd at the end. And the penultimate ball of the game spun past his pad and he cracked the shits and accused me of Bulawayo 1996 Zimbabwe tactics. In other words, negative bowling. As in went down the leg side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then the last ball went between bat and pad. So two dots to finish it. So we, we had a close win, which was a lot of fun. And meant to be playing today against the MCC staff um, up at Dulwich for the cricket riders, but we've just got rained off. So... 
Um, we're going to play a game in the indoor school at Lords. I was looking forward to bowling to Jamie Cox, who's playing for the MCC staff, and him absolutely marmalising yeah. me. But we'll have to wait to next season for that. <laughs> I mean, he's he's um, having met him at Lords earlier in the year. He strikes me as one of those retired cricketers who would be in absolutely immaculate nick with yeah. the bat. <laughs> like, he would have no problem stepping back into. He's it. so fit, isn't he? He's live, you know. Yep. I, I asked him the other day. Surely you're not going to play and ruin the game unless you've not played for like six years and you're not, you know, you're not of a low enough standard as yet. And he goes, well, I have, I didn't play for about six years, but I played a couple of months ago and I'm going okay. So, but we'll, we'll have to <laughs> wait another time. I sort of skipped over the fact, by the way, Jeff, before we get into the, the show proper, that we had our 150th story time on Friday. We've also got our interview with Kumar Sangakara, which has dropped probably four or five hours before we've hit record on this. So two relatively major set piece things but the Sangakara chat was a cracker and I loved that because he gave such long articulate answers that we barely scratched the surface by the time we had to finish and he had an MCC thing to get to so at some point I'll go down to Dorset and do part two with him down there maybe it could well be next year when you'll probably be in the UK we could go down together mm-hmm. to where he's living these days because um, yeah it feels like he's got so much to say well, he does have so much to say a guy of such integrity that you know you get talking about um you go on one diversion and you're stuck there for 20 minutes and that's a great thing. You don't want to come back. Yeah, Sankakara 2, Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, we'll be putting that together. We'll get Vin Diesel involved, hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see, we'll see, if, see if he's occupied. And there's another... Is there's The final word, 11 game is coming yep. up, right? You've been playing hither and yon for everybody else, for <laughs> every other pick-up jazz hat team that, exactly. that you can get to, to get a match together. But uh, the official final word, 11, is playing uh, the Oval Dream Boys, is that correct? Yeah, and they're strong. Uh, the, the ODB are putting out a strong team, mm. so our undefeated Uh-oh. record is going to take some defending on Friday. Okay. It's at the same ground where we've been washed out today up at Dulwich Cricket Club, so hopefully the weather stays good enough. It's meant to be pretty wet this week, but rain or shine, there will be a, an enjoyable afternoon at Dulwich. We'll go out afterwards and have some fun, I'm sure. We won there against the Dream Boys in our first game two seasons ago. So that should be a nice way to put a full stop on the season, put a full stop on the tab season last week as well um, mm. on Thursday, which was a cool thing to do. All of the tabs, fundraising staff and so on were there up at Tring, which was nice to spend some time with them. Uh, and we won uh, in the final over, which is also pretty cool. But our, our relationship with the tabs is growing with the final word and um, they're thrilled at what we've been able to do this year by way of awareness and um, and explaining the story. I played with a, a couple of guys who've been part of the wickets program in Luton. One in particular, Aram, who is our wicketkeeper. Mm. Uh, he's a 17-year-old who threw wickets, which is the, the program they roll out in underprivileged areas to give kids access to the game who otherwise may not get it. He's done so well that he's now in the North Hans Academy and he's a decent chance of becoming a professional cricketer. He took a brilliant catch off me. Wow. So that was a, a nice bit of crossover there, sort of seeing the practical benefit yeah. of giving cricket to people who might slip through the cracks. Life may just not give them the game that we all love. So yeah, if you can sign up to the Tavs mailing list, you can learn more about them. We've already got the early planning going on for the half marathon next year and, and all the other activity. And, and we're hopefully going to be able to introduce a, a membership category as well for final word listeners to formally join the Tavs as a, a, a member of the, the club itself. So um, more on that in the coming weeks. All right, um, look for the, the link in the notes for the mailing list and you can just keep updated with what they're doing. There are a lot of things going on there, people emailing us already about the London Marathon next year, the Edinburgh yep. Marathon, which will be fundraising runs, so a lot of stuff going on there. The Australian men's cricket team. Goodness me. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell happened in South Africa over the last 
five days or so. They're, they're cruising. They win the T20 series, clean sweep. They're 2-0 up in the ODIs. You're thinking, well, here's, you know, South Africa. We've been talking about uh, just how much everything's been going to shit there and the fact that they're sending a, a Z-grade team to play a test series in New Zealand and they don't really care about cricket aside from their T20 comp anymore and their 50-over uh, team they weren't too bothered about even trying to qualify for the 50-over World Cup if it meant getting in the way of the, the T20 fundraising league that they were playing there in January and then they just come back and win the thing 3-2. It's never happened to Australia before. They've never been knocked off from 2-0 up in a five-match series to lose it and they didn't just lose it. They lost it by margins of well over 100 and got bowled out inside 35 overs three times. Yeah, the margins were 111, 164, 122 and bowled out in 34.3, 34.5 and 34.1. So that is about as comprehensive as it gets. So credit to the Proteas for bouncing back from a pretty tough spot just before the World Cup. But even more important than that is Travis Head's feels like he's gone, doesn't it? He had his hand, a left hand mm-hmm. fractured by Gerald Cootsey, who's a... Um, one of the um, South African quicks coming through. Andrew McDonald said overnight. Well, we saw him in the nets. We saw, we saw Curtsy bowling yeah. during the Test Tour of Australia in the nets, and he was he is genuinely rapid. He's one of those youngish. He's twenty two or so. You know, a mop of reddish hair, and was just coming in and pinging it down. And we did think he was a good chance to get picked for a Test match, and he didn't quite come through. Yeah, there's, there was a lot of hype around him when they put him on the plane to Australia last year for the reasons you're you're saying there, and it, it's had an effect here. So Travis Head, according to McDonald, it's a decision we'll need to make in terms of the final 15. So there's consideration now as to whether he even mm. makes the, the final squad, acknowledging that the submission date is the 28th of September. Australia have named their 15 a, a couple of weeks ago, but they've got some yep. flexibility there. So, yeah, it, I mean, this this is applicable to Tim Southey as well, and we'll come to New Zealand in a bit. So Southey's fractured his thumb and dislocated his thumb when fielding at Lords against England on Friday. If this was in tournament, and you pick up an injury, and you're the injured player, you're going to sit on the bench for a few games and come back. What, what's unclear to me is whether you can do that before the tournament. If they've submitted their 15s already, there, there could be that extra degree of flexibility where Travis Head could just become, you know, member 16 of the squad for the time in which he's out of the team. But once once you've got a new I, I person in think, the 15... I don't think it works that way. Nor do I. I nor the do way I. it works is that this is what they were talking about with Joffrey Archer as well, about the reason that he wasn't in the squad. In England's 15 is because he wasn't likely to be available until the back half of the tournament, and so they couldn't afford to carry a player who wasn't going to play through the first half of the tournament because you can't come in unless someone else is injured and has been subbed out. So you need to you know, kick someone in the ankle or have them... Uh, trip down a little set of stairs or something in order to say that there is an injury to one of your existing 15 and only then can you bring a player from outside the 15 back if you want to get if you want to have a player available who's going to be available for the back half you just have to accept that you're playing with 14 for the first half yeah exactly so that that's kind of my point so if head had have picked up this injury in game one hypothetically, or, or Saudi yeah. or whoever else. Say it's a two-game injury. I think we had one of those yep. uh, with the Aussie team in 2019 where Marcus Stoinis went out of the squad and Mitchell Marsh came into the squad for a couple of games. But the point is, Head could be carried and taken there as player number 16. The risk is if you take him with an injury that he's taking into the tournament that you, you know, you've only got 14 players at your disposal to the point 
in which he's fit again. So it's a little bit of a distinction there between, and I did ponder whether, given they've named their squad, whether there might be some flexibility, but yeah, in all probability, there won't be. So there opens up an opportunity here for Marnus Labashain. We, we spoke, Jeff, last week about how they might fit him in, and he'll be mm-hmm. in India for those three one days before. He enjoyed success against South Africa in the first two where they won. They've also got Matthew Short in the squad for the India series. This is interesting to me. I wonder whether that that's... Um, He's a smoky, actually, to get that final spot. I know Labashain's the mm. logical fit, the experienced fit. He's done it recently. But as a purpose-built opener... Marsh, or is it, would it be Smith 3? Would it be Marsh Open, Smith 3, Labashain 4? Is that how you see that? If you're, Australia, would you, if you're Australia, though, wouldn't you want to keep Marsh at 3, given how well he's batted there? In a perf- I know Marsh yeah. opened up in the final one day, but in an absolutely perfect world, you're replacing Head with, a, with an opener and letting Marsh bat at 3 and having that... You know, having the, the, open. The, the structure they want. So either Marnus opens mm. or or somebody else. Josh Inglis already in the squad mm. or Matt Short if he were to dominate against India. I mean, he's uncapped. He did play um, a T20 mm. international and made a half century on debut a couple of weeks ago. So that, that Indian squad also included Glenn Maxwell, Pat Cummins, Stephen Smith, Mitchell Stark, all of the guys who've been coming back from injury or in Glenn's case also um, back home on parental leave. Uh, congratulations to Glenn and to Vinny. Uh, the birth of Logan Maverick Maxwell was was announced over the weekend. So that's... Um, what a perfect a, name. What yeah, a perfect know, right? name for a Maxwell baby, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it felt good. Maverick. It felt good. You Maverick renegade. Yeah, it, it's fitting, no doubt. So, uh, yeah, but he'll be there in India. Tough tough sell, actually, given he'll have a mm. three or four-day-old or something like that. Having to jump on a flight, that won't be easy for, for Glenn. But no. I suppose um, the time of the cycle is such that he has to play some cricket. Yeah. Cameron Green's the other option who could open yep. for Australia. I mean, they, they did have that experiment with him in the T20 side because he's big and he just lumps the ball a long way. Um, and often it can be... You know, your best time to bat might be those first 10 overs with the field up and he can hit over the top, that sort of thing. Left-hander, right-hander. You can't get two more contrasting players than Warner and Green in terms of making it difficult for the opposition to bowl to them. You know, the mm. six-foot-eight guy versus the four-foot-six guy. Um, and left-hander, right-hander, all the rest of it. That might be a, something to float. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Warner's still been making runs in that third one day or he made... 78 from 53 after the century in a loss, but still. And he was batting with mm. head. You know, they put on 140-odd in 15 overs and then lost nine for 83 to, to botch it. Markram. Just uh, extraordinary. Every Markram one of these century. games was extraordinary yeah. in, in, that, in that way. Like, they were going at basically 10 and over. Yeah. And then they get bowled out inside 35 overs. They've still made what would have been a good one-day score in 1995. You know, 227 <laughs> is what you would have made in your 50 overs. But they've done it inside 35, including an epic collapse and an amazing opening stand. And with the ball, head showed his worth too, didn't he? Two for 39. In the absence of Maxwell, was that sixth bowler, but squeezing out all 10 overs. And I think we'll see a bit of that in India where the guy listed as your sixth bowler, effectively, still has mm. to bowl a lot of them. Um, the fourth one day at Centurion was just carnage. His History book stuff oh, where goodness. South Africa make four sixteen for five, but that belies the the rhythm of the innings to the point where Clarkson, who made one hundred and seventy four from eighty three balls with thirteen sixes, joined Miller. David Miller made eighty two not out from forty five um, positively sedate with five sixes. You know, Markram's out at the halfway mark. They're one hundred and twenty for three. Uh, you know, they're going at fours or thereabouts. Then they have a partnership from 194 for four. They add 222 in 15 overs at the end. They're, they're probably tracking yeah. for 280-odd at that point, but these yeah. guys take it to 416 instead and uh, Adam Zampa 
uh, ends up with figures that match Mad Mix from all those years ago, the worst ever in one day is none for 113. And poor old McLewis. I mean, we've talked about this before. I've talked about it on Storytime about how, you know, the none for 113 and it still stands and they've come close a couple of times. Jason Holder had a couple of hundred pluses. Rashid Khan had his none for 110. Even Murley's got a got a 100 plus tally in there somewhere, but mm-hmm. nobody's quite gone past him. And Zampa levels him, but doesn't go past. So McLewis, yeah. the record is still yours, um, unfortunately. Fortunately, I, I suppose you take what notoriety you can get. Heinrich Klassen, I've been on the Klassen train for probably five or six years now. I've, I remember watching him bat in some 20-over stuff and, and was excited about the way he went about it. And was I've been a little disappointed that he hasn't played more for South Africa. He's had limited opportunities, you know, wicketkeeper bat. He's got a bit of the Lance Klusners about him, that sort of uh, rangy kind of raw-boned swing of the bat from the, the, those 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 elastic sort of limbs he's got the 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 very Afrikaans appearance the ginger beard and and he just lays into it and not exactly a closeness style but there was just an echo of it the way he was dumping the ball over the leg side but the numbers are just astonishing 120 off the first half of the innings 296 off the second half of the innings yeah like they all they made a good ODI score from half the back half of the innings 296 it felt like he was the guy they should have used in Australia last year in, in test cricket yeah. I know we're jumping around a little bit here with our conversation but Klassen made a first class 292 to get picked on mm-hmm. that trip and they didn't yep. use him. They sat him on the bench. I know he's been in the test team a little bit this year against yeah. the West Indies, but yeah, he, he feels like one of those um, transformative yeah. players who could have a huge World Cup in Australia. David reply, Miller's never played a test as well, which yeah. still stands out to me. Yeah, and, and probably never will, given the direction of travel with South African cricket. Mm. The Australian reply of 252 was in 34.5, so I guess they were broadly in line with the run rate. They were certainly ahead of where South Africa were by <laughs> runs when they were dismissed. Kerry, the last man out for 99 from 77, caught behind from the bowling of Rabada. Tim David made 35 quickly, nothing else really, but Tim David isn't on the plane uh, to India. I know he wasn't in the one-day squad for the World Cup, but I thought they might take him over there and where he fits in Australian calculations into the future is still uh, pretty unclear. Uh, and then the fifth and final one day yesterday, um, South Africa, 3.15 for nine. Mark Ramore runs, 93 from 87. So he's had, he's had three or four really good performances in this series. He actually got out to Tim David, his first ball in one-day cricket, caught around the corner. I don't know why he was bowling. Love that. Uh, Zampa bounced back with three for 71. A couple of wickets for Abbott, who has picked up a webbing injury to his um, hand as well um, from fielding. So mm. Sean Abbott's part of that 15. He'll be carrying something of an injury over to India, a wicket for Cameron Green, who yeah might be a better chance of being in the first 11 uh, in the absence of Travis Head. But Australia all out 193. Marsh opening, 71 from 54. And then another collapse, 7 for 69. Labashain tried to keep things together in the middle. So his strike rate reflects the fact that wickets were falling around him. But yeah, another huge collapse and off to three one days in India, starting in Mahali on Friday. And then um, yeah, I suppose, Jeff, when they're there, they can check out, what do we used to call them? The monuments of Mahali from the, the, mm-hmm. the Mahali Four. The Mahali Four. Was it the Shane Watson... Uh, Shane Watson fence? No, it was the barbed wire yeah, fence. Were, were there sh- were there gates? There, there was a, was there a set of gates? Was there a? Yeah, it was like a, a runoff um, yeah, gully or something like that. I'm, I can't remember what we'd allocated to the different players involved. It's it's Mitchell Johnson, Usman Khawaja, Shane Watson, and James Pattinson. The other yes, yeah, Pat I thought so. Who could forget? Who could forget the the Mahali four? Um, and and just on the Australians quickly, the the neck protectors are now compulsory if they're facing anything faster than spin 
which is interesting because I thought they they were mandatory, but they weren't really, and, and they, they came in for a couple of years and then players stopped using them, and so particularly Smith and Kawaja and a couple of others have been resistant to using them, but they now have to do it. Well, Cameron Green copped a whack not far from that part of the side of his head. I know it wasn't, I know that hit helmet, but you could, if that was a couple of inches lower, it would have been down towards his neck when he was uh, concussed out of a, a one day or a week and a half ago. So this just seems logical. I, I In a way, I can't believe they weren't mandatory to this point. I know Smith yeah. didn't use them, then he did use them after he got hit by Archer in 2019, not using them again. You're right about Kawaja and others who've been around for a little bit longer who weren't quite so keen, but yeah, it just stands to reason that it would be. The other thing that came out in that release from Cricket Australia around their playing conditions for pro cricket, they're, they're trying to get rid of the two-for-one reviews in Big Bash cricket, so this is where a wicketkeeper appeals for stumps, knowing that it's not really stumps, knowing that the process is to check the court behind first, so you get your two-for-one. Mm. We saw that a lot when we were in India earlier this year, but now captains can check for other forms of dismissal, so says the release, but they'll need to use one of yep. their reviews if they want to check for the edge as well as the stumping when playing in the Big Bash League. Yeah, which is only going to make people furious the next time somebody gets a little nick on one <laughs> um, and they check the stumping but they don't check the other one and they'll say, well, why can't we use the technology to get the decisions right? More One Day International talk to come after the break. Jason Roy out of England's World Cup team, the Asia Cup final. But before we get to the break, we have to get through a little bit of Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge, the game that we like to play with people who like to play it. They listen to this show, these wonderful people, People and they decide, I wish to fund this program. I wish to be, to have my name inscribed on the memorial wall outside the uh, the opera centre or whatever it is. Opera centre? Is there an opera? Who's ever had an opera centre? <laughs> I don't know. You know when you go to the, the fancy theatres and whatever and there are all of the bequest donors who are like yeah. in the, this one's in the $500,000 club <laughs> and so on. If someone wants to join that club, feel free. They have those bricks now at that, um, is it the Father Time Wall? Uh, around behind the the new Compton stand there where uh, everyone who's paid a lot of money gets a brick and that's surrounded by iconography of, of moments that Lords that, are, that have stood out over the years. You know, right. the, the two World Cup wins in 17 and 19 highlight that from, from the modern game, but other newspaper rips and so on. But yeah, I, I did wonder how much does it cost to have a brick in the wall of Lords? I'm tipping a shitload. Mm. All in all, it's just another. Um, so in our case, people send a very specific amount of money because they want that number to relate to something in cricket and then we have to figure out what it means. If you don't understand what I mean, take this example. Alex Brown, friend of the show, has sent through $1.74 in New Zealand dollars. That means our number is 174 and he sent through a clue as to what it might mean. Yes, uh, Alex, who's a very much loved member of our community, um, he has been very much on the front foot about his cancer treatment through the last 18 months or thereabouts, which he's through the other end of now, um, and we're thrilled to, to report that's the case. So g'day, Alex, hopefully we'll see you soon. Uh, related to the first game that my dad took me to when I was a kid and should be relevant to Adam, enjoy solving it. Okay, so relevant to you and when he's a kid. Now, I know that Alex is around about 50, so I was able to deduce that this probably needs to be a game in the 70s or early 80s and it probably needs to be in New Zealand. So I was looking up times that New Zealand have made 174 or held other teams to 174. There was nothing in the time frame that really worked as far as games in New Zealand. They did it overseas through that period uh, but didn't do it at home. So I had a look at individual innings of 174 instead and this this is a possible candidate. It Wellington 
1984. And actually, if I remember rightly, Alex said he grew up in Wairarapa, which is a place we were talking about on Storytime last weekend, which is about an hour north of Wellington. So this is, the case for this is strengthening. First test, New Zealand play England. And uh, New Zealand make 219 in the first innings, go okay, moderate sort of score. And then England, Chris Tavare opening nine off 60 balls, beautiful stuff from the Tav. Basically, New Zealand get bothamed, right? He, he takes five wickets in the first innings and then he makes 138 when they bat. Derek Randall makes 100. They get up to 463. It's this interesting composition of a team because because they've got both of them, they only use four bowlers, but he bats at six. And because they've got him, they've got Derek Randall as a non-wicket-keeping number seven. They've got Bob Taylor keeping wickets. So it's, a, it's the luxury you get with an all-rounder where you can have a, a player as good as Derek Randall come in down the order at seven so that even though England were five down for 115, they end up making 463 on the back of those hundreds. So New Zealand are stuffed, presumably, and at the point where they're 165 for four, they're still in deficit. They could lose by an innings. And then a partnership gets going. Martin Crowe makes an even hundred. He gets out, and who should he be batting with, Adam? But JV Coney, who is who is doing the job, and and he puts on puts on another thirty or so with uh, with Richard Hadley. He puts on a, another thirty after that with Martin Snedden. He puts on seventy odd with Ian Smith. He puts on a hundred and twenty or so with Lance Cairns, who's also taken seven wickets in the first innings, mind you, and makes sixty four batting down at number ten. And then he puts on another what's that, seventeen at the end with you and Chatfield, his great mate. Coney, as he so often is in these situations, not out. One hundred and seventy four, having faced three hundred and seventy four balls and hit twenty six fours and a six along the way. He saves the test match. Yes. The, the six came up last week when he and I were talking. <laughs> so I better tell you about this. Purely coincidental. Okay. Purely coincidental. I, I asked him what was the, the, the six that he remembers most when he really middled the ball that, you know, left the bat perfectly. And he goes, yes, well, it was at the base. I wasn't about 150 at the time and it was very flat. And he talked me through um, <laughs> nailing. I can't remember who the bowler was now, but it wasn't both of them who he enjoyed a good rivalry with over the years. Willis, Neil Foster, Nick Cook, Mike Gatting and Chris Smith are the other options. I think it was Cook. My sense is it was Cook. Anyway, the point is is that that's the, the six that he remembers more than any other across his long career mm. for New Zealand and domestic cricket as well, where he placed it over long on and got all of it. And that was when he was on about 150-odd. And being classic Coney, he's self deprecating uh, to the last. Does it marry up when looking at the scorecard that it was extremely flat? Like looking back through there, Jeff, you've had it in front of you, were the scores suggestive of a pitch that was uh, that was a feather bed? Well, not, not at the top of the order because both, I mean, New Zealand don't make many in the first innings. Um, England are five for not many and then make the runs later when I guess the, the ball's gone flat. And then New Zealand's innings is similar. You know, it's not until down down the list a bit um, that things start to get a bit easier right. with that. So it probably, probably flattens out with the older ball, but yep. there was still something in it with the new ball. Yeah, yeah. It tends so to maybe maybe just talking himself down a bit. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's fitting that we're talking about – he's on a plane today back to New Zealand. He's been with us in the UK mm-hmm. for – for months, hasn't it? I think he got here in the start of June or something like that. So mm. um, it's been a lovely, um, lovely time sharing his company. So only fitting that he features on Storytime today, having been a, a co-host through the, uh, uh, the, the England-New Zealand uh, matches that finished on Friday. 
So that's why I thought that might be relevant to Adam as per the clue might be that Coney was involved. England and New Zealand draw the test England bat for a little while, um, but they only face 20-odd overs. And then New Zealand come out and absolutely romp them in the second test, make 307 batting first and then bowl out England for 82 and 93 to go 1-0 up in the series. They draw the third and win it. But it all comes down to not losing that first test match when they were in a parlous position and the the glorious 174 made by JVC, which I suspect Alex Brown might have been there to witness. And if so, you're a lucky man, Alex Brown. I hope that's your number. Drop me a message and let me know. If you want to play Nerd Pledge, patron.com slash the final word. And we had our 150th, as we said before, show of uh, story time last week and we'll charge towards 200. We've got two revisit specials coming up over the next fortnight. So that's where we take all of the numbers over the last six months that we haven't gotten quite right. So if you're in that category, you'll probably hear from Jeff or me as we try and uh, get to the bottom of your answer and, and tell the story adequately a, a second or third time around. Mm, yeah, it does It does tend to keep on giving that particular gift. Feel free to get involved if you haven't done so yet. Let's take a break and then there'll be more Final Word. Hi, I'm Brian Roddle. You're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Final Word with us, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and it, we won't be seeing Jason Roy in India. It came out on Sunday afternoon. I reckon we've been expecting it since mm. the middle of last week when uh, there was a second back spasm reported. That was before the Oval One Day International. So even though Harry Brook did nothing at all, really, in the one days against New Zealand, he played three of the four of them, I think, from memory. He gets the nod. You know, I, the, Roy has hurt his back twice in quick succession at the same time that David Malama's locking everything in. They clearly want... Milan to open in that tournament, which is fair enough. He's just simply overtaken Jason Roy. So the question becomes not really about Roy. It's who do you want as your spare bat? And Harry Brook is a utility. Yeah. It just makes more sense to have someone who can bat anywhere in the list, whereas Roy is, is typecast, if you like, as a specialist opener. He was so good in 2019, Jason Roy, average 63 in that tournament. Struck at 115. He's been a foundation uh, with Johnny Bairstow and occasionally with Alex Hales at the top of the list as they've um, worked forward and changed their game dramatically from 2015 onwards. Famously, he was out to the first ball of the revolution, caught at point, and that's always seen as or looked back mm. on as something that's uh, uh, a symbol um, as to how they were going to change the way they played. But in all probability, Jeff, his uh, England career is complete. Well, it feels... I mean, it's a, it's a momentous call to make given that given not it's not just what Jason Roy does but it's what Roy and Bairstow have done together I mean they've like the numbers off the top of my head I think they're they were averaging 60 plus and going at well over a runner ball um they're basically the most the 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 fastest scoring opening partnership of anywhere near anyone who's that prolific like Mm -hmm. I I think I reckon the last time I was looking at this it was about three and a half thousand runs that they'd scored together it might be more now vast quantities of runs at an incredible speed and everything about England's white pool revolution was based on that opening partnership you know that's been settled that's been set for for such a period of time so I am surprised that they've jettisoned it I know that you know there was the perception was that Jason Roy's um, star was fading and that his returns were diminishing but what he played six games this year made 200s in them and had some problems with the back spasm. I mean, a back spasm is something that usually you deal with in a day or two. And yes, it has been an ongoing problem, but it's not 
it's not like he broke his leg or something like that. It seems a, a pretty spurious basis to me to say that's an injury that's going to knock someone out of the squad. Um, although I suppose, as you say, it's about what job do they want him to do, um, what job do they want Harry Brook to do, more more likely, as in to be the cover who could fill in any spot. But if it was still coming down to a straight race between Roy and Milan, I'd, I'm, I'm surprised that they've moved on from him after saying they were going to stick with him all this way and then finally sort of chickening out at the last minute. Yeah, I was I was of a similar view until the last week where Milan just looks in such glittering form it would be a crime to leave him out. He he batted so well at Lords have on a on a stick on a, a more a stodgier surface than it was at the Oval which was the shirt front. Right. Um, where he made 96 and 124 in those two hits, a really classy half century yeah. in Cardiff. It's just one of those I'd where like to see him weight both. of numbers. I mean, if, if I were building that team, I'd like to see Milan coming in as your insurance policy after that opening period. Right, you yeah. Know, yeah. Where, where, whereas, to get an early wicket. whereas in practice, what they're going to do is have Rude at three, who I should note is going to play the island one day. Is at least the first island one day. We got a note through this morning. Luke Wright's been addressing the media to this effect that Root wasn't going to play and Brooke was. Now they've switched, so Brooke won't play now. He's in the squad. He'll have a rest for a week, which makes sense, before going to India. Right. And Root will get a hit, at least one hit against Ireland this week. He's been out of touch. But, you know, I don't think there's any doubt as to Root being the, the, the crucial man there at number three, the glue in the middle. Then sure. Stokes at four, who had that record-breaking performance a couple of days ago. Just to remind everybody, as Phil Walker summed up wonderfully on the on the Daily Show that he's, he's not going to play, good. as he called it, low heartbeat cricket. He can. He absolutely can. But he doesn't have to. Mm. Uh, and that was a, a timely reminder of his... Um, Broader array of uh, of skills at a time. I, I really, career. I really enjoyed that that episode, that summary. You know, as a as yeah. a piece of extempore uh, cricket um, <laughs> literature in performance. I suppose it was it was a great great couple of minutes from Phil Walker. It was extremely Phil. It was great having him on as one of our co-hosts through that series. And then they've got that that wonderful flexibility of, you know, in all probability, Butler at five. I think that is right. Like, I've always felt Butler at six or seven doesn't get full value out of him. Butler at five means they can, they can tweak as they go. Livingston mm. at six, who was the match winner um, last week down at Southampton in a tougher spot, but we know his explosivity uh, then they've got the all-rounders in Moen Ali and Sam Curran, then the, the specialist bowlers, including Adil Rashid, who's back from injury. So, yeah, that, that, that to me feels like the right fit, only having two of Bairstow, Roy and Milan. And at the moment, it's it's um, it's uh, Bairstow and Milan and Roy get squeezed out. But it's been a tremendous career. And, and as you say, the, their opening partnership over a, a lengthy stretch of time is up with the very best, if not the best. I mean, certainly the best for England. It would have to be up there with... Uh, with with Gilchrist and Hayden, or maybe Gilchrist and Mark Waugh, and I suppose possibly Greenwich and Haynes, although it was a different game than 50-over cricket as the most explosive ever. So if he's got time to get back, I think uh, Roy might be 34, but usually at the end of a World Cup is when a side will reset thinking to four years further yeah. on. So I don't I don't imagine a world where he remains part of the England setup now that his T20 career is, is long since gone. He's not been in that team for at least a couple of years. And there's there's just something about those kind of pure hand-eye players that they, they can drop off more quickly and, and at yeah. a younger age than, than different types of players do. You know, the, the, magic did, the magic did go with Roy. I think that's just worth mm. noting. Like Roy, the imposing, because he's so big and thick through the shoulders and through the legs. He's such a daunting mm. bloke to bowl to. That, that's all still there. But, yeah, there, there was a point there in Roy's career where he was just a colossus and 
it hasn't felt that way in the last, probably since COVID, if I'm honest. We had him on the final word briefly um, around that time when he was coming back from an injury and in the bubbles and all the rest of it. And um, right. I, I don't think he's felt like that kind of Jason Roy since probably all the way back to the 2019 World Cup with some rare exceptions. Mm. Yeah, they, they, there was definitely that sense, right? And sometimes it's just vibe-based when when they decide to that it's time to move a player on. It's it's, it's about how it feels. So I, I was yeah. just pulling up the numbers here. Yeah, 2,922 runs is what that partnership ends up with. Between Bairstow and Roy, average of 58. And that's over the course of the, the years from 2017 to 2022. So that's what's going on with England. Um, India and Sri Lanka in the Asia Cup final. Goodness me. Absolutely blew them away after Sri Lanka had had rallied to make it to the final they 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 got themselves up for the challenge they were unexpectedly hosting the event the ground staff did an amazing job over a few days of heavy rain to get games on and and make it happen Sri Lanka knock out Pakistan after uh, Kusal Mendes makes 91 chasing down 252 in, in 42 overs and Pakistan falling away after they lost to India I mean it's you know Pakistan got spooked a bit once they got put on the griddle. Yes, yeah, so Asalanka 49 not out at the end in that chase to win on the final ball against Pakistan. Well, Alago was important in that performance too. So, the, you know, they did that. Mm-hmm. They chased 252 and 42 overs in a rain-reduced game. So they earned their spot in the final. Uh, and Pakistan fell away a bit too. Interesting yeah. with the rankings that Pakistan go back to number one because South Africa beat Australia, even though Pakistan didn't make the final of the Asia Cup. So what are those rankings worth? Not the paper they're written on. It's the long and the short of it. And they're going to have Nassim Shah, Jeff, out of the World Cup as well, which feels huge given um, when they're at their best, it's all about Shaheen and Nassim bowling. As an Mm -hmm. opening partnership, at genuine pace and moving the ball around. He's been so good as a competitor as well, you know, winning that one day international recently with the bat as well against yeah. Afghanistan. He's, he's so up for the fight um, at any given time. So that's a blow. And, and whether he's going to be fit for their test tour to Australia remains to be seen as well. But that gets Sri Lanka to the final and then they get absolutely roasted. They get bowled out for 50 in just over 15 overs. 50. All out. 50. Uh, Mendes, 17, and Hamanta, 15, the only two into double figures. Siraj, four wickets in and over and manages to not take a hat-trick, which is almost harder than the opposite yes. at that point <laughs> once you got four out of six. It's like the 17 split when bowling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, nine in the first innings and not getting a 10 wickets in the match. Yeah. Siraj, 16 balls to take a five-wicket haul and at one point... Six for seven. Yeah, Barat made a good point on Twitter that um, poor old Chris Silverwood, who, um, Jeff, one of my favourite memories of 2022 was when we were at Gaul when Sri Lanka won the second test match. They got flogged in the first and they come back and Mm. put in a a magnificent performance when the country was going through such a lot that week with all the protests and they're ravaged by COVID. They step up, they beat Australia inside four days by an innings. And there's Chris Silverwood with this beaming smile talking on... I guess WhatsApp video or FaceTime to his family back in England and you could see how emotional he was about overseeing a team doing that having against Australia suffered the indignity of Melbourne mm. um, and well especially Melbourne as coach of that side only a few months earlier during yep. the Ashes series and Brat makes the point that at one stage Shiraz 6 for 7 of course that's what Boland took when um, Silverwood was, was watching that uh, in the December mm. of 2021 but yeah Hardik Pandya 3 for 3 to finish it off if you as you do Boomer picked up one off the top as well so that the 
the squeeze was there. It was a total non-event, 15.2 overs to roll them, and India make the 51 they require in 37 deliveries with Ishan Kishan and Shubham Gill knocking it off to win by 10 wickets. They win the Asia Cup for the eighth time, for what it's worth, but um, not something I know an awful lot about, the history of the Asia Cup, but India have had a bit of a stranglehold uh, on that. Not even half an innings of cricket uh, when you consider the cumulative overs in the final. 21.3 overs. 21.3. And uh, so well done to the ground staff who who got the, the, the field to play ready to roll. I saw that the uh, the groundsman was presented with a 50000 US dollar cheque at the end of the uh, Asia Cup mm. to reflect the extra work the the staff needed to put in there at the Prima Dasa and other grounds they used just to keep the show mm-hmm. on the road. So that seems fitting. That, Mind um, you, if, if, if you divide that between all of the people who help <laughs> take the covers <laughs> off and, and, and put them back on, that's going to be about 40 bucks a head. Good point. Uh, they've got a, an absolute army of workers there who are all paid an absolute pittance, um, yeah. by the way. So hopefully that money does get distributed to everybody involved. Another white ball trophy that was resolved this weekend was... Leicestershire uh, winning their first 50-over competition since 1985. This is a great story, Jeff. So they beat Hampshire. Leicestershire are the Foxes, right? They are the Foxes. And, and you know, they, they've, they've, they've had a, a challenging time of it in the last 20 years, no matter how you frame it up, across the formats. They've had more success in T20 cricket. They, I think they won the inaugural T20 uh, blast in 2003 and one other. But, you know, if you're looking at the club with, in totality... Charles Dagnall running a mark. Absolutely. Right? Daggers, Daggers played mm-hmm. in that first final. But, yeah, Hampshire, who are a, a bigger club, a Division One club, a test-playing county, if you if you want to use the, the jargon about the way the grounds are seen. And it's a cracking final. So Leicestershire batting first... Um, who, you know, don't get days out like this too often. They make 267 for seven, but they were 19 for four with big Keith Barker running through them. Then they were 55 for six and they were, you know, 89 for six in the 22nd over. It feels like Hampshire are going to, you know, knock them over for 120 or something like that, which is what they did to Warwickshire in the semi-final. Enter Harry Swindles, uh, who's the wicketkeeper down at number eight. Uh, what a time to rattle off your first list day hundred in a in a big domestic final. He makes one hundred and seventeen not what, out. What what a what a name! What a like Harry. Yeah. He sounds like a guy Ritchie character, and <laughs> he's just come in and stolen the game. My yeah. name's Harry Swindles, yeah. and I've got an idea for a con. <laughs> I'm going to come in at number eight, lads, and I'm going to poach myself a cheeky. Maiden list a hundred. They're not going to know what's coming. He's just he's just pool sharked. Yeah, it, it's worked perfectly for him. Twenty four years of age, you know, wicketkeeper, right hander. Um, only faced ninety six balls for his one seventeen. Three sixes. They put a nice full stop on it. Put on one hundred and fifty one with Sam Evans for the seventh wicket. He made sixty Evans. So that gets them into the forty eighth over the pair of them. And then in the chase, Hampshire. You know, they're consistent, but they're consistently losing wickets. No one quite goes on with it. They have seven batters out between 15 and 27 in pursuit of 268, which is the score that Liam Dawson makes when he's eighth out the last wicket. So it gets to the final over where Hampshire need eight to win and Dawson's still there. And Dawson's the senior pro, right? Like you're surely backing Hampshire in a situation like that. Then uh, Leicester throw the ball to Josh Hull. He's this tall six foot seven giant, only 19. And he was only 19. Uh, Yeah, bowling at Liam Dawson and Keith Barker who've made... So many runs together down the list. Barker's been playing for 20 years. It's Hampshire's to lose at that point. Dawson gets out miscuing a ramp, fourth ball of the over. Mizpah. 
Misbah yeah, Haq. Uh, Barker needs four from the final ball, but um, yeah, Hull nails the Yorker out to mid-wicket for one. All hell breaks loose. It was compared to a football celebration, which which seems about right for the Leicester fans, and, and fair enough. They they didn't have anyone um, but Ackerman, who was playing in the 100, Colin Ackerman. So mm-hmm. they were able to build something, whereas like Hampshire had 10 players over at the 100. And you know, some of them came back for the final. But we know that like, gelling's important. It's an intangible of cricket. It's a beautiful intangible of cricket that mm. having 11 guys or girls playing consistently together can often be more important than having big names being drafted in, which is more the case with Hampshire. Yeah. And also a, a timely reminder that cricket isn't always played on spreadsheets and you know, there, there's there's something to be said for the smaller, less fashionable counties uh, um, still being able to to make it count in 2023 when they're so often written off. You know, let's remember Leicestershire, they, they might have their troubles and you know they've had a pretty good red ball season as we've documented when doing our county wraps they're I think they're fourth or fifth in division two at the moment they're not a mile away from being in the promotion hunt but you know this is the county that produced David Gower you know like this is not a county who you know is good for nothing it's just that um, they've had a, a dip in their fortunes and hopefully with investment uh, and, and spurred on by winning this trophy, uh, they can have their days in the sun uh, on a far more regular basis into the future. I, I suspect there's also something to do with when you're playing together, when you've got that same group of players through the season or through the tournament and you've made it to a final, you've seen your team win. You've seen the other players in your team do the job. And, yeah. and a big part of cricket is the nervousness of sitting there watching your team bat and not being able to do anything about it. <laughs> but if you've seen other players in your team pull it out of the bag, like with your wicketkeeper coming in and, and, and sort of pulling an innings out of the hat, you, ha- you have this level of confidence in the other players in your team that, that maybe then affects the way that teammates play as well. Like if you if you have faith in your teammates, you're maybe less likely to be as nervous when you have to go out to the middle or you're, maybe you play better shots or maybe you have more calm and composure because you believe in it. Whereas if your team is a is a grab bag assembled of players who haven't been there in the tournament and they've just come back and all the rest of it, then it's different. You don't have that, that sense of um, having forged something together and, and having that, that full that that confidence of recent history, you know, yeah. I, I, it's, it's totally impossible to track. It's totally intangible, but yeah. I just think there might be something to that. Yeah, we, we've, we, I think you know, I can speak from experience playing in teams that don't look anywhere near as talented on paper but had sort of team success for all the reasons that you're stating there. Uh, sticking with England domestic cricket, the county championship, the penultimate round starts on Tuesday of the four-day stuff. In Division 1 last week, Kent drew with knots at Canterbury, but they really needed a win in terms of their promotion relegation, or should I say trying to survive and stay in Division 1. They did make 446. Zach Crawley, uh, his third score above 150 for the season with 158. Knots then made 265, and uh, and then they followed on. They had to follow on to give themselves any chance of winning. Kent, they had to enforce it, but um, Knots batted far better in the second innings for 348. Joe Clark saved the match, making 143. And Brett Hutton, who's had a fabulous season with the ball. I think he's got more wickets than anybody else in Division 1. He made 84 down the list at number 9. Kent were actually a chance of losing on the final afternoon. They were set 168 and they were 86 for 6 uh, when they shook hands with uh, the game complete. Um, Warwickshire um, saw off Northants, which means Northants are certainly going down from here, but only by two wickets. And this was a great game. So 
Northants make 250, batting first. Kuran Naya, one of a number of Indian players out playing in the championship at the moment. Haven't heard mm. his name in a while. Bit of a blast from the past. A guy who has made a triple ton in Test cricket, Jeff. In Test cricket, yeah. yeah. The the only player whose only 100 was a triple. That's right, yeah. He made 78. Oliver Hannan-Dolby, who I have a sneaking suspicion listens to the final word, took seven for 46 after getting clouded a bit at Surrey you last week. You say that every time his name comes up. He, he's like that tweets. Literally he's, he's, like, he's like that tweets. That's enough for me to go on. Uh, so. <laughs> Fair fucks to the guy. Uh, Warwickshire, 147 for four, uh, which is an unusual time to declare after 66 overs, but they did their best to help set the game up, uh, which is fair enough. Um, Warwickshire needing to win emphatically to have any chance of staying in the title hunt, low as they were, and North Hats also needing victory to give themselves any chance of survival. So both sides played their role here. North Hats declared their second innings Uh, closed at 72 for none, uh, setting up a chase of 176 for Warwickshire in 60 overs. So old-fashioned, old-school, manufactured final afternoon. Now, it was total drama for Warwickshire, though. At one stage, they were 24 for five in pursuit of 176 when Ben Sanderson took a hat-trick. Now, Ben Sanderson, Jeff, I don't know if you remember the name, he was the guy who made his, I think it was his first-class debut when you, me, and Daniel Norcross were calling the Australia Northants game in 2015 that we've spoken about many times as one of our sort of Mm. formative commentary moments where he didn't have spikes. I may may have called him um, Brenton Sanderson on that commentary, (laughs) coming off the half-back flank for the Cats. Well, well, my my enduring memory of Sanderson that day was he was a last-minute call-up, didn't have spikes to bat in and went out in black shoes. So whether that tallies with reality, but that's how I remember it anyway, Daniel too. Wasn't it? Um, wasn't it the other? Wasn't it Gleeson? Richard Gleeson, Richard Gleeson had, the black had no. I think Richard Gleeson had the spikes, and Sanderson didn't. That was Gleeson's debut as well, coming from right. um, minor counties, and minor of counties, course went on yeah. to play play for England, didn't he? Um, Gleeson a few times over the last few years, but he's out of contention at the moment. The former Northants quick anyway. Uh, Michael Burgess came in at twenty four for five. The wicketkeeper bat made seventy eight, not out. Yeah, baby John had some help from Ed Barnard, who made forty one, um, and they get home uh, by uh, two wickets. Tickets with seven overs to spare, so a little bit of a wobble, but fine. North Hans- I've got. I've got to say, at the point where you are bowling on that last day and you take a hat trick, surely you have a right to expect to win the game from there. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. surely you should be winning. Like, morally, you should be winning that game. Like, especially especially when you need to win it to stay upright. Like, that, you might be yeah. thinking, oh, this is the turning point. We're going to win this. We're going to win next week. We'll beat Surrey at Surrey. Then we'll, you know, we'll, 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 we'll find a way to stay up on the final day like Warwickshire did last year, actually, but not to be. So after getting promoted... In 2019, that was that strange bit where the teams who were promoted in 2019 only got to enjoy the the riches of that in 2022 because of the two interrupted seasons through COVID and the regional structure mm. and the Bob Willis Trophy and so on. But they're going back down again to Division 2. Middlesex might be joining them. They were saved by Rain at Old Trafford, though, which helps um, their third last at the moment. They made 195 on the first day. Lancashire just too much for them. Uh, they made 413. In reply, Dane Villas making a ton. Luke Wells, 97. So veterans there. Uh, Middlesex were 160 for three the second time around when rain got the better of them. So Middlesex um, keep their nose ahead of Kent and they host Warwickshire this week, who aren't going that well. So they are a chance. Off the field, though, they're in strife, Middlesex. They've probably gotten lucky. Certainly that's the perception from those around the game. The ECB investigation came to an end last week around their financial misconduct, uh, money that was 
found to be misdirected from the ECB that was meant to go to uh, the pathways and recreational cricket ended mm. up getting funneled into the county club itself. So um, they've had to wear a, a £50,000 fine and a whole bunch of points deductions, but they've suspended the points and they've suspended 100,000 quid of the fine um, provided they don't do anything silly into the future. So I saw a lot of Durham fans were pissed off given that when they got in trouble for their finances back in 2016, they mm. were they were relegated, they were um, docked 48 points for the next season and kind of ravaged for a generation, whereas Middlesex, um, their penalty is, in, in short, 50 grand. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. So yeah. speaking of Durham, uh, they're officially uh, promoted. I should say, by the way, that Essex play Hampshire and, you know, Essex are, are still a chance, you know, of winning it. They're, they're um, 17 points behind Surrey with a couple of games to go. Lancashire host Knotts, Middlesex, Warwickshire, Somerset, Kent, and that surrey Northants game that I'll be doing with Daniel and Phil Walker. If Surrey win, that's it. It's competition wrapped up. Competition already wrapped up in Division 2. Durham officially promoted. They weren't playing last week, but the Leicestershire game solved it, or resolved it, I should say. Sussex defeated Leicestershire by 15 runs at Hove. Um, so mathematically, they can't be overtaken in at least one of the sure. two promotion spots. This was another cracking game, Jeff. So Sussex 262. Leicestershire 108, Sussex 244 for nine, Leicestershire set 499, and they nearly bloody get it. Colin Ackerman, who we touched on before, made 136, Tom Scriven 78, Umar Amin 94. But yeah, at 453 for six and Ben Cox there and Scriven there, um, you're probably backing Leicestershire, but um, there's a, the, the NADCAD intervention, another Indian, Indian import international uh, yeah, 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 Yadav Yanadkat, uh, the left arm quick. His second game for Sussex takes the last five wickets of the game. Um, so they, they get the job done, Sussex, and there's still a pretty good chance for promotion in that second spot. Uh, a rainy draw between Gloucestershire and Derbyshire. Another rain-affected draw at Cardiff um, with Yorkshire visiting as well. Shah Massoud made a big hundred for Yorkshire, but um, there wasn't enough time there. Sam Northeast made an unbeaten century for Glamorgan in Division 2 this week. Leicestershire, Yorkshire, Worcestershire, Durham, Derbyshire, Sussex, and yes, Durham through. Worcestershire, 154, the most likely team to go up with them, but Sussex, a chance still on 130. This could be the year of Colin Ackerman, you know, this could be, or the the 12 months more or less, um, instrumental in the Dutch knocking off South Africa in the T20 World Cup and he'll go and play for the Dutch at the 50 over World Cup. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is Colin Ackerman's time. (laughs) Last thing before we throw to another break, uh, following our chat with Tanya Aldred last week, Jeff, the MCC have formally launched their net zero strategy for Lords, which is a, clearly a good thing. Um, uh, they've had a sustainability manager in there since 2009, so the MCC have typically been one step ahead of other clubs on this front in England, but they, they, they're going to be, according to this, carbon neutral by 2030 and net zero by 2040. The main thing seems to be replacing natural gas inside Lords itself with renewable energy and Owen Morgan was the spokesperson for this last week which is positive too right like using their big guns there at Lords to, to try and um, tell the story as best they can yeah I mean it's it's about demonstrating an attitude I suppose um, uh, although I don't know it seems that we're, we're, when we're, we're sitting in a country for instance like this one where our federal government's kind of going oh yeah it's a bit of a problem yeah we'll sort of look at it yeah we'll just poke around the edges um, and there's not a lot of actual substance going on there's that tension of the frustration between like how drastic the action needs to be versus the 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 little baby steps that aren't going to shift the dial overall enough yeah I'm, i'm not as involved in this as i used to be but you kind of got the libs out there 
talking pipe dream nuclear energy, which is going to never happen because of how costly it is and how long it's going to take to get those stations up and running. And and Labor have found themselves betwixt and between when it comes to um, when it comes to approvals, especially, and what that signal sends to the market. But equally, trying to as ever for the Labor Party, balancing walking that tightrope between jobs and industry and um, and the broader mission to get Australia's house in order after a decade of neglect. Anyway, I'll get in trouble for saying that. Trying not to piss anybody off. It uh, it does not have a proven track record as an approach. Anyway, time for a break. A little bit more to come after that. Hi, I'm Dave Warner and you're listening to The Final Word. It is the final word coming towards the end of another episode with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. The Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy is the other competition coming towards its resolution in England this week. Top place side goes through to the final. Two and three playoff to go through to join them in the final. Um, and we're, we're getting very close to that particular bit of the season, Adam. Yeah, so these were the final group games where there was jeopardy in two of them, kind of, sort of, but lots to play for ahead of the, the final, which is at North Hats this year, back to where it was two years ago on the 24th. It was at Lords last year. So we're, we're right towards the end. The semi-final is this week. So the Stars defeated the Sparks by 152 runs to make sure they were at worst going to finish in the semi-final spots, second or third. Um, they made 283 for seven. Bryony Smith, who's a gun made 97. The Sparks, who were a mathematical chance as well going into it, they got rolled for 131. Um, Alice Davison-Richards took three for 20 after her one-day international debut earlier in the week that we'll come to in a sec. Uh, so uh, Rihanna McDonald-Gay took three for as well with her medium pace. She's um, been part of that England 19 setup. She's not far away from the senior squad. So that's the Sparks done in the first game. The dead rubber was the thunder and the storm, a, a playoff for last, really, uh, where the Storm made 250 for seven with half centuries from Emma Corney, Sophie Smale and Sophie Luff. The most interesting part of this was the Thunder's Olivia Bell. Um, there's been a lot of chat about her. So in this game, 10 overs, four maidens, three for 30. Cam Ponsonby's been watching her closely, doing some commentary on these games. She's already made a Scotland T20i debut, I think last year. She's 19 and she's been picked up uh, for the Thunder towards the end of the season and taken 14 wickets at nine. It wouldn't be the first time that England have um, poached a Scottish player, a uh, Scottish spinner nope. specifically, actually, thinking of Kirsty Gordon. So I hope they don't from a Scotland perspective, but I wonder whether those conversations might take place given that she looks like she's the real deal. The Thunder chase it down easily with Ellie Threll- Threllkeld, who I always struggle to pronounce her name, the keeper and captain making 107 not out. The Vipers sell up top spot by hammering the blaze, um, which was a shootout for top spot, the winner, getting the automatic trip to the Northampton final. Um, yeah, this this was an in- interesting season for the for the Vipers. They started slowly, remember, they were knocked off by the Sunrisers in the first game. I think they had the double done on them by the Sunrisers, who've been typically towards the bottom of the ladder. But the yeah, big they, ticket. Do they give them a big novelty-sized bus ticket <laughs> that says going to Northampton? Yes, like the big you, you are, that you you get are going to Northampton. Uh, Reminds made, me, it's like the old uh, first prize is one night in Northampton, second prize is two <laughs> nights in Northampton. I did spend my, my, uh, my, my birthday there in 2015. We were talking earlier about that game. Anyway, the Vipers made 288. Maya Bouchier back from England duty making 64. Georgia Elwes, former England international, also making 64. And Emily Windsor, who was player of the match in the 2021 final, a half century there too. The Blaze were never in it, all out 162. 
apart from Marie Kelly making 56, she's just got back from the, the CPL uh, and enjoyed a fantastic couple of years. She shouldn't be far away from, from England consideration either. Mary Taylor, young quick coming through, three for 15. Charlie Dean, two for 51. And yeah, the, the Blazers semi-final, so they finished second. The Blazers' home ground is Trent Bridge. This was the former, the artist formerly known as the Lightning who played at Loughborough, right? But okay. owing to the fact that there's a one-day international being played at Trent Bridge on Saturday, they're playing their Thursday semi-final away at the Stars' home ground at Beckenham. I saw there was a bit of a blow-up on Twitter about this, so I'm not really sure where I land on this. I know that Trent Bridge wouldn't have been viable. You can't have a domestic 50-over game being played on a ground two days before a one-day international. That, that's just not going to happen. But uh, was there a better way here? Was there an out-ground the Blaze could have played at? You know, because they played at Loughborough mm. um, rather than giving or seeding home ground advantage to the stars at Beckenham? Or was the assessment perhaps that Beckenham's the best ground and, and you want to give the players the chance to yeah. play on the best, the best facilities and so on? And, and, and the best surface as well because, yeah. you know, we've, from the conversations we've had with ground staff around England, like just how difficult it is, just how high traffic all of their squares yeah. are over the course of an English season, especially at the tail end where every pitch is used, every pitch is tired. If you, I mean, imagine how much shit they'll cop if they go to Loughborough and it's a dead slow one and it's a, you know, 140 plays, 150 kind of 50 mm. over game because nobody can get the ball off the square. So there's that to factor in as well. If you're a good team, wouldn't you rather play on a better ground? I don't know if the ground that they're ending up with, ending up at is the better one, but that would be a possibility. Yeah, Beckenham's, Beckenham would be a more um, a more credential ground than Loughborough. And I have no idea what happens to the square at Loughborough in late September either. Yeah. Anyway, we're speculating. Uh, the other dead rubber, the Sunrisers, who had a much better season. They end up finishing in fourth spot. They won six games. They didn't win any in their first couple of years, so well done to them. Uh, they knocked off the Diamonds, who were last year's champions and the Diamonds fall from first to sixth all up in a badly affected rainy game hmm. where it was DLS and all the rest of it. But yes, uh, Bess Heath top scored for the Diamonds with 37 out of their 114 for six. And then the rain came and Sunrisers were set uh, 126 in 18 overs and got there um, with a few balls to spare. So well done to them, the Sunrisers who've been uh, on that journey. And we had James Norden on last week from England Disabilities team. He works uh, there at the Sunrisers team as one of their high performance managers. So I'm pleased to see their success and we will keep an eye on the semi-final uh, on Thursday at Beckenham and, of course, the final, uh, which will be on the weekend at North Ants. It's interesting that you can be set a target in less than 20 overs, you know, yeah. 50 over game. I think they started looking at the card. Overs in order yeah, to make it well, looking at the bowling cards, I think somebody bowled five overs in the reply. So that would suggest mm-hmm. they got like 12 or 13 in before Duckworth Lewis kicked yeah. in. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Duckworth Lewis Stern has had an interesting week. The, the Pakistan-Sri Lanka one as well, where, uh, where Sri Lanka ended up having to chase the same score that Pakistan made, having one run taken <laughs> off it, even though even though Pakistan were interrupted during their innings. So normally when the rain would come halfway through an innings um, and, and the innings ends up being curtailed, like, it's like say you face 30 overs, you come back and you've got 12 left. Right. They'll bump, they'll bump the score of the side that's batting because they'll say, well, if you'd known that you only had 12 overs left, you would have been scoring faster in your previous 10 or whatever it is, right? Pakistan are five wickets down at this point. So because they're five down, somehow the calculation says that they end up having their actual score that they've actually made reduced, which makes no sense in my head whatsoever, as if to say that it would have been, if they'd, they were benefited by not having to bat the full 50 overs because they only had five wickets in hand. But 
that's just a logical nonsense to me because if you had the full 50 overs, there's still the chance that you could score more slowly, but you could still make more runs than you ended up making by batting more cautiously, right? Whereas as it is, they make an actual score and then they're told actually you've scored one run fewer than you... There's no projection. They scored that many runs. They scored their 252, whatever it was. And then instead of having to chase 253, Sri Lanka have to chase 252 and get there off the last ball. Well, it Do- doesn't, doesn't really check out to, to my mind. Given you're a lookalike for Daniel Stern, maybe we can have the Lemon Stern model into the future. <laughs> that would work for me. Uh, Jeff, our last uh, agenda item today is quickly going back to the England-Sri Lanka series. I think we've done about four weeks on this, given how spread out it's been, but um, the last one day's internationals were played uh, last week. So they were rained off at North Ants at the halfway mark with Sri Lanka in an that, identical That's interesting, spot. actually. But maybe we've been pluralising it all wrong. It probably should be one day's international, as in Governor's General. Yeah, Attorney's General, yeah, Courts Marshal. One day's, one day's international rather than one day international. It came out wrong, but I'm glad it came out wrong. As I said it, it felt right, so... Pay attention, wisdom. So in the first one day, uh, Sri Lanka were all out 106 in 30.4 overs, I think it was. In this one, they were 106 for nine after 30.5 when the rain came. There's a crazy run out to Ooh. find themselves in that in that hole. So they fell away after winning the T20s, clearly. They did get on at Leicestershire uh, for the final match, though, and, and smashed them. So they made 273 for eight. Of most interest here was Nat Siver. Her incredible run continues, Jeff. She can't bowl at the moment. She's got the the injury that she's been managing, but boy, could she can bat. Um, 120 from 74. Siva Brunt now has made five centuries since last year's World Cup final to make eight all up. I know you've done a bit of work on this and you wrote a piece around this, Jeff, during the Women's Ashes, but ahead of her, I went and took a look. Lanning, 15, as the clubhouse leader. She'll make a few more, at least you would think. Susie Bates on She's 12. tailed off so hard. Like even, even, yeah. even setting aside the time that she's spent out of the game, which has been considerable in three big chunks since 2017, you know the the amount the number that she scored through the first few years of her career compared to what's happened since um, it has really been a diminishment. Well, this is it. I was I was going to say yeah. I think she'll catch Lanning. So Lanning's on fifteen, oh, Bates yeah. on twelve, Beaumont nine, Edwards nine. They're the only four mm. players ahead of Siver's eight in terms of centuries made. Yeah, so I think that you know Siver has a couple more years. It's impossible to bat as well as she has every year this year. But if she you know rattled off three or four a year, she'll play till she's thirty seven or thirty eight. Why wouldn't she? As someone who's yeah. um, got the benefits of travelling the world, we've seen what she's been able to earn in, in one season of Women's Premier League. She made half a million bucks for three weeks' work in India. So it's in her yeah. explicit interest. She's turned Why 30. You? you just do it for as long as you possibly could. Yeah, so she turned 30 end of last year, start of this year, one or the other. So you can see a world where she plays many, many more one-day internationals. Anyway, so they bowled out Sri Lanka for 112, so three innings that are practically the same for the visitors. Charlie Dean, 5 for 31. She bowled beautifully at North Hans. I I can't – in my mind, there is no England side that's not improved by Charlie Dean playing. Uh, she's. I know that it's difficult when you've got Eccleston in the 11, so Eccleston's first name on the team sheet. But Dean, mm. um, yeah, I don't think of her quite so much as a second spinner. I think of her as England's second best bowler. So, uh, yeah. yeah, she's and just she so good. a bit better. Yeah. She's like, Eccleston's talented with the bat and can, and can be a fast scorer, but Dean seems like a more complete 
player with the bat. And the squeeze that ADR, Davison Richards and Dean, who got brought back in, by the way, Davison Richards brought back for her first England game since her test century last year, would you believe? Didn't mm. get picked at all for the women's ashes. But yeah, she bowled nicely in tandem with Dean. They put the squeeze on in the middle and, and changed that game. But yeah, that's, that's England women's summer done. Uh, so you would say a successful women's ashes, drawing at eight all, mm-hmm. exceeding expectations. I think it's reasonable to say coming back from behind is- Well, also, uh, yeah, mounting a comeback. Yeah, and uh, a shock loss in the T20s and uh, service resumes as it normally does in the one-day internationals, mm-hmm. winning them 2-0, Jeff, and uh, that's the end of their season and that is also the end of our show today. Well, I think it was good fun. It was, I'm, I'm glad they lost the Sri Lanka T20 series because that was, um, that was entertaining for all of us. It's nice to get a shake-up to the, the usual order of things once in a while and, and congrats to Sri Lanka on a successful year and, and Chamari Adipatu doing 90% of the work to <laughs> knock off New Zealand and then knock off England in the same year. I, I, think, I think we'll look back at this and there'll be a lot of... There'll be years to come when Sri Lanka are not as successful as, as this one. This one will stand out. And hopefully it'll have an effect on their contracts as well. They've got a lot of contracted players, Sri Lanka, but it's... Uh, at least until very recently, match payments are a far bigger percentage of their WAC than their than their base salary. So, and we're yeah. talking fractions of what Min- um, minuscule, yeah, compared to I mean, a decent wage in in Sri Lankan uh, terms, as it's been explained to me. If you're a full time top banded player, but yeah, there, there are other areas where they need to catch up and and find a way mm. to make sure the base payments are higher, so they're not just relying on playing games because that's that's not that's not skewed the right way. Maybe it is in men's cricket more to go in that fashion but if you're trying to build something as they are in Sri Lanka having beaten New Zealand earlier this year and knocked off England this is the right time for for doubling down on that investment so that is the final word the weekly show you've got a couple more calling the shots redux specials in the pipeline that, that we do emerging over the next week or so yeah I think we've got four more we're going to do we've recorded the first couple the first came out on Friday a lot of people got in touch around that actually and neglected to mention earlier so thank you uh, for that uh, I found them listening to them again for the first time in a couple of years um, a great um, a great reminder of what we learnt in the research project that was pulling the, the shows together they were made in such a helter-skelter way that I don't think I committed much of that to long-term memory. Like the stuff happened. I remembered some of it, but some of it's fallen out of my brain and it was nice to, to revisit those episodes with, with Daniel and we'll do the last few this week. And the plan is to release all of them before um, we start our World Cup daily. So there'll be five of those in the feed. We might do another one of the book club eps as well. That was um, quite popular a couple of weeks ago. So in addition to the interviews and the weekly show and story time and everything else, we've got some other stuff in the margins that hopefully you know, you'll enjoy before we go um, full tilt when the World Cup starts on the 5th of October. Yes, yes, it is approaching like a truck <laughs> and um, it's going to be seven weeks of non-stop, can't stop, won't stop daily shows, which I guess if you're in Australia will be dropping at a good time if you're not someone who wants to or can stay up until uh, probably about four in the morning, um, given that they're going to start around seven o'clock at night and teams can't get through 50 overs in less than four hours these days. If, you, if you're not willing to stay up for Afghanistan, Netherlands until 5am, we will have done that for you. 
All right, Jeff, let's let's uh, let's hit stop. This has been the final word. Season fourteen, episode forty-three, not far away from our season closer in a couple of weeks from now. If you want to join us at Dulwich Cricket Club on Friday, please do so. The game starts at four p.m. It'll be a great day. Uh, we had a number of people just show up unannounced last year, and they enjoyed themselves. So don't feel like you need to get in touch with me or Jeff or or anyone else beforehand. It's a, a lovely sort of uh, convivial affair. Uh, and um, as always, if you uh, want to uh, provide support to the Lord's Tabs, the best way of doing so is giving them your data and your uh, your email address and so on and you can find that uh, in the show notes this has been the final word bye for now I had to go about